So how long has SeaWorld been involved with manatees and supporting them and rescuing them? As a company, we have been rescuing animals since 1973. Oh, and I'm wow. Yeah, a really long time. And I am really proud to say that we have rescued close to 40,000 animals in that time. Oh my goodness, that's crazy. Oh, but that makes my heart so happy. Hi, I'm Cindy Simmons, and this is See the World with Cindy Simmons. So the goal of this podcast is to take you on an eye-opening journey and explore everything that SeaWorld has to offer. And I'm especially excited about today's episode because we're going to learn all about what's going on with manatees and SeaWorld's expertise in this space. And we're also going to learn how I didn't even know what a manatee was until I moved to Florida. So joining us now is SeaWorld's Senior Animal Care Specialist, Maggie Mariolis. Hi, Maggie. Hi, Cindy. How are you? Maggie, I am doing well. I, I feel like I'm cheating a little because I do want to admit that I, I got to meet you over the weekend with my family and we now are going to be your stage five clingers because we love you. <laughs> I love you guys as well. Anytime you want to come and hang out, I'm more than happy. Um, if you really mean that, we will be there tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Absolutely. To help you feed the manatees. All right. <laughs> so Maggie, I want everyone to get to know you and there's so much to learn about you. So if you can just t kind of share how you got to where you are, what I think is maybe the coolest job I've ever seen. Well, thank you. Um, a lot of what happened for me was being in the right place at the right time. Um, when I was four years old, I was down here in Orlando visiting family. My grandparents lived here and I was actually picked out of the audience. And I mean, what? it was one of those moments where, you know, the skies opened up and a beam of sunlight right on this child <laughs> in the front row. And I I really felt like it was meant to be. And I participated in the show and I got a chance to meet a dolphin. And it was just a, a life-changing moment for me. I was four years old and I was covered in fish guts because that's what the, the trainer told me to do was wipe my hands together and wipe it on my shirt. And I just remember walking away from that experience and saying to my grandparents and my mom, this is what I'm meant to do. I'm going to grow up and I'm going to work at SeaWorld and take care of the animals. And that never wavered. It never changed for me. I went to school knowing that I wanted to study psychobiology, which is the study of animal behavior. Okay. And I graduated college and I literally flew from Long Island to Orlando and started work at the park at eight o'clock the next morning. So what? It was a, a combination of very hard work and just dumb luck that I happened to be in the right place at the right time. Oh, my goodness. So, okay, you graduate college, you come to Florida, and then, hi, I'm working at SeaWorld. Like, how does that just happen? So I happened to be down here for spring break, my senior year in college, and I had sent my resume to every zoo that I could think of, I could find an address for in the country. And SeaWorld just happened to have positions that were open. And I literally, again, right place, right time, happened to be in Florida already. And so I got a call and they said, hey, do you want to come over for a swim test? And I said, sure, I happen to be here. Let's do it. Um, I completely bombed it, like no. just absolutely bombed the swim test. It was it was embarrassingly <laughs> bad. And as soon as we were done, 
The HR representative said, well, we also have positions open teaching summer camps. And I see on your resume that something that you've done in the past is at a position you would be interested in. And I said, yes, please. And they interviewed me and I started teaching summer camps, teaching career camps to kids so that they could learn about all of the different job opportunities that SeaWorld has. Wow. So how long did you do that then? I did that for about a year. Um, I loved it. So I made it my goal to kind of work my way up to do it the following summer because I really thought it was super fun. You know, being able to tell the kids about all the different opportunities at the park and what each job entails. But it was also sort of a great way for me to figure out where I wanted to go as well. I got to learn all the ins and outs of what each different department did and really kind of tried to narrow down what exactly I wanted to do at SeaWorld. It wasn't just as simple as get here and take care of animals. There was a lot of different opportunities and a lot of different areas to work in. And I needed to kind of figure out which one I wanted to, which path I wanted to follow. Right. So which different areas did you work in to get you to being the senior animal care specialist now? So at SeaWorld, we used to have different specialties. So if you were into birds, then you would work in the aviculture department and you worked exclusively with birds. If you were into reptiles or amphibians or anything that was cold-blooded, then you were a part of our aquarium team. If you were into mammals, then you had two different options. Uh, We used to have a team that was animal training and they were responsible for caring for the animals that participate in shows. They would take care of those animals, they would be in the shows. Then we had an animal care team, and those were the folks that would take care of the animals that were in our display habitats, like Mm -hmm. our wild Arctic area, but they would also do the rescue. And I remember the first time I got to see an orphan manatee calf get a bottle. Um, They were Amber and Bach, and they were here in... Well, embarrassingly <laughs> long time ago. And I knew the very first time I saw them do those bottles that that's what I wanted to do. Get out. So yeah. then how, how long have you been doing what you're doing now, rescuing? Uh, I have been doing rescue operations since 2003. Wow. I started at SeaWorld at 2001. Okay. So you have to be maybe like the best guest to be at a party, like a Christmas party or something, <laughs> because... <laughs> to me, that just seems like you have won the job lottery. Is it as great as I have created in my mind? It is. Um, oh. You know, every day I meet people in the park or even outside of work, just when people ask me what I do. And every single day I meet people that say, oh, I wanted to do that when I was a kid. Or, oh, that was my dream. I thought that would be such a fun job. And it absolutely is. Like any job, there are definitely positives and negatives. Um, You know, I, my body just does not let me sleep past five o'clock in the morning because we have to be here so early. Um, Mm. We work around the clock. So there are days when I will have an entire week of coming in at midnight and working till eight in the morning. So yeah, there's definitely some unglamorous parts of the job, but overall it's, it's as good as you imagine. Oh my goodness. All right. So speaking of unglamorous parts, I have heard a term lately, and I had no idea what it really meant until I I met you, and it has to do with manatees, and it's called the unusual mortality event, and there's something going on with manatees that I want to talk about, because first, I didn't even know what a manatee was until 
I moved to Florida. I grew up in California. I moved a couple different places. And then I, I saw them when I was out on a boat ride somewhere. And I'm like, what is this massive, adorable thing in the water? <laughs> where are, are they just here? Like, where are they? Why aren't they everywhere? So manatees are going to be dependent on the water temperature. And that's generally why you're really only going to find them in Florida or the southern, the uh, southeast states in the United States, because they need warm water to survive. As large as they are, they have a very, very small layer of fat for insulation. So in the summertime, when the Gulf of Mexico or the Atlantic Ocean, the water temperatures rise, they will migrate out to the salt water and graze on whatever types of plants they can find out there. Okay. In the fall, as those water temperatures start to drop, they will migrate inland to warm water sources like Blue Springs State Park or Crystal River and congregate around those natural warm water sources or even man-made water sources to stay warm. So they really are only found in very warm areas. And that's why most people have never had the opportunity to see them. So why are they in trouble now? What is this unusual mortality event that's happening this year? So this year, we're not exactly sure what's causing it, but this unusual mortality event is tied into a lack of food. For the manatees, like I said, as they migrate out to the ocean in the summer, there's plenty of food for them to eat. As they migrate back in in central Florida to the warm water areas, there would normally be massive amounts of seagrass for these guys to eat and then go back to the warm water sources to sleep at night or rest and then go back to the feeding areas. But unfortunately, last winter and this winter, those natural feeding areas are just not there. So these animals, we don't know. Um, There's a lot of different theories as to what might be causing it. But all we know for sure is that there's no food. Mm. These animals are literally starving. And they have to sort of make a choice. Do I stay where this warm water is that I need to survive? Or do I go farther away from the warm water to find the food that I need to survive? And they're sort of having to make that that really tough decision, animal by animal, what, what are they going to do? And so we're seeing a lot of animals being rescued in very poor body condition, basically just skin and bones by the time mm. they're getting to us. Mm. So how, how did they get to you then? So anytime people are out enjoying the waterways, whether you're boating, jet skiing, scuba diving, swimming, or just any recreational activity in the water, if you see a manatee that doesn't look like it looks great or doesn't look like it's behaving normally, you can report it. It's citizen science. Like I tell everybody all the time that whether you realize it or not, you're actually a part of SeaWorld's rescue team. We come into work every day, we clock in, and we start taking care of the animals here in the park. We don't automatically just go out and start patrolling for animals in trouble. We will go off property to go participate in a rescue if we are asked to, but otherwise, we're here at SeaWorld caring for the rescued animals. So it's folks like yourself that are out in the waterways that see an animal in trouble that dial star FWC on any cellular device in the state of Florida, and that will put you in touch with the Florida Wildlife Commission. Those are the folks here in Florida that will go out, check on the animal, decide if an intervention needs to happen, and then they'll make that decision. Oh, So then what is SeaWorld's role in the rescue and rehabilitation of manatees? So I always tell people that it takes a village to rescue a manatee. 
For us, we are part of a Manatee Rehabilitation Partnership, and there is a ton of different partners in this, and everybody fills a different role in this partnership. SeaWorld has the ability to be sort of the emergency room. We're going to be the location where animals that are, are significantly injured or critically ill are going to come for treatment. We have other partners in that partnership, other facilities that will house animals that are medically out of the woods, but maybe not quite ready to be returned. Animals that are ready to, but maybe their environment isn't ready. Um, a great example is red tide. On the west coast of Florida every year, yeah. there are red tide events. And the animals will, if they ingest red tide, they will go into sort of like a coma and they'll actually Aww. drown if we don't get to them in time. But we can treat it by giving them a lot of fluids and flushing those toxins out of their system and they rebound very quickly. But the problem is they're better, but that red tide is still in their environment. Oh, no. So we can't safely return them until that tide event is over. So sometimes it's more based on the animal. Sometimes it's more based on the environment, how long they're going to be at a critical care facility like SeaWorld. Wow. So how long has SeaWorld been involved with manatees and supporting them and rescuing them? As a company, we have been rescuing animals since 1973. Oh, and I'm, wow. Yeah, a really long time. And I am really proud to say that we have rescued close to 40,000 animals in that time. Oh, my goodness. That's crazy. Oh, but that makes my heart so happy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing when you look at the numbers. Um, this year for 2021, so far in Orlando, we have rescued 45 manatees, 206 birds, and 29 sea turtles, and wow. one dolphin. Aww. So we were able, like I mentioned earlier, my family, um, all of us, all four of us, were able to just spend some time kind of getting a behind the scenes on, on what you do, Maggie. And I got to tell you, it was so amazing just to watch you feeding the baby manatees. I, so you were giving them a bottle, much like I would have given my babies when they were babies. He has his peck on the other side of my hand, almost like he has to cuddle too. What's in the bottle and how often? I mean, it looked like you were having to feed them almost around the clock. Absolutely. Yes. Just like any newborn, manatee calves need 24-hour-a-day care. Um, we we have a formula recipe that we have developed here at SeaWorld. And in my almost 20 years of being here, we have changed it numerous times. Uh, just like any type of medicine, like anything, we're always advancing. We're always making changes to make things better, do things in a better way. And so we have made some changes over the years to our formula recipe. But we start out with Elecare, which is a human formula that is hypoallergenic. It's very easy for newborns to process and to digest. And then we slowly add in a variety of plant-based oils and proteins so that we can get as close to mom's milk as possible, but yet mm. still keeping in mind that they're herbivores. So we need to make sure that we're only using plant-based materials that their digestive tracts are going to be able to process. One of the neatest things I think I've ever seen, and my daughters felt the same way, was watching you feed the calf and just the way it was like like sucking on the 
on the bottle just like a baby. Oh yeah, it's it's the sweetest thing. And we do it every three hours. Um, and there's definitely days where we're all sort of, I don't want to say fighting, but everybody always wants to do the baby. So, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, oh, who was the first one to get to the bottles this time? But every three hours around the clock, we are giving those calves bottles. And as they grow, just like with baby humans, you know, it's always a big monumental event the first time they sleep through the night and they're not waking up for food. So as they grow, we start to wean them off of those overnight bottles. So, and we start to introduce lettuce so that they can eat more solid foods. Um, And as they grow and eat more lettuce, we start to cut back on some of those bottles. So Morty and Mabel, uh, the two calves that we have right now that you guys had a chance to meet, Mm -hmm. those guys are down to five bottles a day. So they start at six in the morning and they get their last bottle at eight o'clock at night. Oh, so you said then you go to lettuce. Is that what manatees eat? They're herbivores. So there are hundreds of different species of plants that they're going to naturally graze on. For us here at SeaWorld right now, I think I did the math the other day, and we're going through almost 60 cases of lettuce a day. What? Yeah, it's it's an enormous amount of lettuce. And romaine lettuce, what we feed to them, is very high in nutritional value. If you're an herbivore, like a manatee is, romaine lettuce, and this sounds so crazy, but it's really going to pack on weight quickly. It's very dense in vitamins and minerals. So we can give them a case of romaine lettuce as opposed to hundreds of pounds of seagrass that's not going to have Mm. quite the same nutritional content. So for us, it's just much easier to be able to feed them lettuce rather than having to try to either grow or find seagrass, which is the problem right now is that there really isn't any for us to even go try to harvest. So it's just a, a simple food substitute that we can give to these guys that's really, really good for them. So Maggie, what about manatees who come in who maybe have an injury? I've heard that sometimes uh, the blades of boats can injure a manatee. So how do you treat a manatee who has a skin injury? That's an excellent question. Each animal, whether they're rescued for a, a traumatic injury like a boat strike or whether it's an illness like cold stress or pneumonia, each individual animal is going to be treated as a unique case. And each animal's veterinarian is going to do a variety of different tests. We're going to do x-rays to see how all of the internal structures are looking, make sure they don't have any broken bones. Very often, if a manatee is hit by the front of the boat, it will cause a blunt force injury. So broken Mm -hmm. ribs is very common. Lung injuries, they might not be floating normally. They may have a punctured lung if it's kind of the front of the boat. If it's the propeller, that's going to do a lot of tissue damage, a lot of slicing. And Mm -hmm. as a human, if you get a significant cut, you know, you go to the doctor or the hospital and they're going to put sutures in, they're going to stitch it. And you're doctor's going to tell you to keep it dry for two weeks. That doesn't work on a manatee. What do you do? we, We have to really think out of the box. And our veterinarians here at the park over the last 30 some odd years have really gotten very creative with with different ways that they can treat injuries like that. Uh, We will utilize things like crazy glue. We will, yeah, yeah. We actually put the first cast on an animal. We used this this wait, wait, medical. Wait, 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 wait. Oh yeah, you, a cast. A cast. Yes. How yeah. In was... the world, do you do that? 
It was super revolutionary. Uh, we took a medical tape, very similar to what you would make a human cast out of, and we actually used crazy glue to sort of solidify it and and make it as water resistant as possible. Um, there's a lot of things though that we have to think about if you're putting a bandage like that on an animal. Is that animal living with other manatees? If it falls off, is that something another manatee could potentially pick up and eat? So not only do we need to address the individual animal and what their wounds need, but we need to think about the environment that they're living in and make sure that it's not setting up the other roommates, if you will, um, to potentially ingest something that wouldn't be healthy for them as well. Wow. So Maggie, if I'm going to SeaWorld and I'm with my family, are these things that you're talking about anything that we would see when we're at SeaWorld? Absolutely. 100%. We have an open door policy. Um, our hospital pool, we call it Manatee Holding One, and it is right behind our turtle track habitat. And whatever type of medical procedures that we might be doing, if it's something that we feel comfortable that our guests will be safe watching. We do it while the park is open. We invite the guests to watch. Oh, wow. um, it's sort of one of my favorite things. I I really love to do it because you know you you get to explain to people what we're doing. And, you know, I, I always tell people, you know, if, if you're squeamish about blood or needles, that this may be an opportunity to walk away. Right. And I explain to people that, you know, manatee skin is really thick. And if you have to give them an injection, it's a six inch needle. It's very long. And you do have to use a fair amount of, of force in order right. to make sure that you're getting wow. through their skin. So it's it's kind of pulp fictiony. And I know that's an old reference, but... <laughs> It's, um, yeah, it, it can be a little, a little off-putting. Um, so I like to always explain to people before we do that, because I never want anyone to witness something that they don't want to see. Sure. But if we're giving a manatee medication, that's how we have to do it. Um, one of my absolute favorite things though, is being able to share that with people because it might create that connection that they wouldn't normally have. You know, I was, I was up there one time and I was kind of explaining to people that we were providing a manatee that wasn't eating with a tube feeding, that we take a tube and we can either go through their mouth or through their nostril and advance that tube until it gets into their stomach. Mm -hmm. We make sure that it's in their stomach by waiting for that animal to take a breath. Manatees anatomically are just like us. And I'm sure you have swallowed something and it goes down the wrong oh, pipe. Yes. Exactly. It's uncomfortable, but we need to make sure that we're in their stomach and not in their lungs. And we do that by waiting for them to take a breath. And then once they do, we can either pour medication or water or a green smoothie. We blend up romaine mm -hmm. lettuce and spinach. If they're not eating, they need the calories. And we can pour that down the tube. And there was a little boy that was there. And I'm trying to explain to a, a small child, you know, that this is a feeding tube and this is what we're doing. And this animal needs calories in order to to heal itself for its its body to heal. And the little kid was just so not impressed. And I was really like, I was really trying to like explain to him right. what was going on. And he just sort of looked at me after a couple minutes and he goes, ma'am, I know what a feeding tube is. I had one. And I, I sort of was taken aback for a moment because it's not something you expect sure. a child to tell you. And mom sort of leaned over and said, yeah, he, he had had cancer earlier and he's a survivor. But uh. while he was going through treatment, he had a feeding tube. And as soon as mom kind of finished telling me that, 
the little boy started asking me about all of these other medical procedures that he had had and if that manatee needed those procedures as well. And how do we do this? And does the manatee like it? And what do we do? And and I could tell that that little boy was so engaged in what we were doing and truly cared so much about that animal because he could relate. He knew exactly what that animal was going through, and that was definitely something that he was going to take home and probably remember forever because he made that connection. Oh my gosh, Maggie, as a cancer survivor, that just gave me all of the goosebumps all over my body. That might be one of my favorite stories I have ever heard. Oh, thank uh, you for sharing that. Of oh course, we. I have a. I have another one as well. Okay, this I want one, them all. I want. Them I all. was. I was bawling. Uh, we we work a lot with the Make-A-Wish Foundation mm-hmm. and Give Kids the World. And uh, a few years ago, I think it was about 2011, we had a pilot whale that had stranded. And very often with animals like pilot whales or any open ocean animal that is used to swimming 24 hours a day, if they are not swimming, their muscles will immediately begin to atrophy. And so because she had been beached and she was not able to swim and she had been held in the water for a while, she had developed severe scoliosis or curvature of her spine. And we named her Hundy. Um, Hundy had the greatest life here at SeaWorld because everyone was obsessed with her and was Mm. always spoiling her rotten. Uh, But she had, like I said, severe scoliosis and she was just so sweet and patient. And one day I was feeding her And we had a tour guide come back through our area. And it was sort of always known that Hundy's pool was kind of off limits. Um, You know, you could sort of walk past it and explain to the guests what was in there. But approaching her pool, we wanted to to keep her calm and just keep her relaxed. So they never really were able to approach the pool. And this family went by and the tour guide, Mary, was sort of talking to the family about what was going on with the with the kid or with the whale, excuse me, to the kids. And I looked over and I heard the little boy say, oh, oh, that whale's like me. And I kind of stopped because I was busy doing stuff. And I turned around and I saw that this young man had a brace for his scoliosis. And at that moment, I turned around and I was like, come here, you, you guys, you got to meet oh. Hundy. Like, come on, you got to come over here. And his dad picked him up and kind of sat him on the side of, of a platform that we had near the pool. And Hundy came right over and I was petting her and they were asking me questions about her treatment. And and I explained that she had a brace as well, just like he did. And I will never, ever forget this little boy looked up at his dad and said with, with just tears in his eyes and the biggest smile, dad, that whale is just like me. And if that whale can swim, then I can learn how to swim too. And I, I mean, I had... Oh, yeah. No, I had to walk away at that point. I was like, I am so sorry, you guys, but I have to go take care of this other animal because I had to walk away because I couldn't not cry. I mean, I just couldn't. It was so moving. And it was sort of that same deal where where you saw that connection be made between a child and that animal. And you knew that was something that was going to last for the rest of their lives. Maggie, I know I said it already, but you literally have the best job on the planet. I mean, <laughs> I, I do. I do. Because I'm sure you have a million more of those stories because just the way that I think kids connect to animals, heck, not even just kids, people. My um, my oldest daughter is 16, Lily, who you met the other day, and 
She just hasn't figured out what she wants to be when she grows up. And that's okay. She's just a soft bore still. But I was thrilled because when we came home, she goes, Mom, because she was griping a little about getting up early in the morning because she's a teenager and wants to sleep all the time. Of course. She, she goes, Mom, that was really cool with Maggie. Like, just getting to see and, and how passionate she was. She goes, like, I feel like, she goes, you know, I've said that before, that I love going to SeaWorld and I, and I love animals. And I said, yeah. She goes, I mean, I feel like that, that might be something I might want to do when I grow up. And it was very exciting for me as her mom because it was the first time that I've heard her really, because she's still looking for her passion and she's oh, figuring sure. out. But the way she was saying it, Maggie, it was like there was something in her just lighting up and she's um, taking a marine science class now um, in school, in high school. And so I think it just kind of made her even more like, yeah, I got to focus on my class and just, you know, there was just like something that lit up in her. I have to imagine that's not the first time that you've heard something like that. Do you see guests, maybe like the few that you've met, you know, whether they're younger kids or middle school or high school, college age that end up you know, getting back with you and they're like, hey, Miss Maggie, do you remember me from blah, blah, blah? Like, have you had any of those? I have. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing that with me. And please tell Lily I said thank you because that really uh, that really means a lot. Um, that means I did my job well that day if I inspired you did. somebody. You did. Um, but yes, it's, it's really funny. Um, because I've been doing this for as long as I have, there's been numerous people that I have had the opportunity to talk to, whether they were a camper or whether they worked as an intern at the park. And and I sort of had in, an influence in, in them developing a passion to want to continue to work here. So there's a lot of people that have sort of said, I ended up working here because I spoke to you this time or I did that. And it's it's incredibly flattering and I, I that is sort of my goal you know SeaWorld gave me as a young child a direction it gave me a passion it gave me inspiration and every day that I come to work I want to pass that on to me it's it's sort of my my way of saying thank you is to make sure that I am inspiring the next Maggie. I, I want to come to work every day and make sure that I am sharing that passion with others to kind of keep that cycle going. Oh my goodness, what is wrong with me? I'm so <laughs> emotional. I'm like, I love you, Maggie. Maggie, you're the best. Don't let her, I don't, I don't want her to hear me cry. Oh my gosh, Maggie, I love you so much. <laughs> I love you too. Thank you. All of these guys, like I said, are getting regular vet appointments pulling them out routinely for x-rays to see how those ribs are healing, yeah. monitoring the progress. When we have to pull these guys out, we have a crane that comes back into the middle of these pools, crane them up, put them down on the ground, and we'll do all of our x-rays over there and then crane them back into yeah. the pool. Wow. How yeah. long can they stay out of water before it's done? Indefinitely. Oh, these, wow. Yeah, they can be out of the water forever as wow. long as you monitor their temperature. I want to talk uh, about manatees because I loved that I never knew what they were until I moved to Florida. I love getting to see them when our family goes to SeaWorld. And I know November, which is why we're talking today, is Manatee Awareness Month. And I know you mentioned earlier that we can star FWC, right? Yes. 
to, um, you know, if we wanted to reach out, if there, we saw an injured animal, what can we do? What can we do for Manatee Awareness Month as just regular old citizens? Well, as regular folks, just making sure that you are responsible boaters. You know, if you're out on the water, if you see those signs that that say no wake manatee zones, making sure that you're really following those guidelines and not going fast, not speeding through. Um, manatees in the natural environment are usually covered in algae and they can be really difficult to see, difficult to spot. So wearing polarized glasses, if you are driving a boat, is going to be a great way to try to help see them. Knowing what to look for. Uh, manatees, usually when they come to take a breath, you'll only see the very tip of their nostrils. Almost similar to an alligator, you just barely see those two nostrils break the surface, but they create a footprint. And oftentimes when we're going out to rescue an animal, we're looking for that footprint more than anything. And when a manatee swims and they lift that paddle or that tail up, it creates concentric circles, almost looks like you're skipping a stone on the surface of the water. So Uh. looking, if you see those circles, knowing that there's an animal in the area to go extra slow, maybe stay away from the vegetation as much as you can. Odds are the manatees are going to be eating. That's what they do best, eating and sleeping. I think I'm part manatee. Uh, but they're, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be hanging out where the plants are. So stay towards the middle of the waterways. And odds are if you're going slow, you're going to be doing everything you can. And again, keeping your eyes peeled. If you see an animal that looks like they're in trouble, reporting it to FWC is definitely the best way to help. That first acknowledgement that an animal's in trouble is the first step in the rescue process. So like I said, everybody that's out there really is part of the rescue team. We're we're a village, like you said, it takes a village. That's right. (laughs) So Maggie, before I let you go, we ask this same question every episode, and it's my favorite question to end on. What is the best thing you have seen in the world? That is such a hard question. Uh, You know, thinking about it, Immediately, I start thinking about, you know, all the places I've had the the opportunity to travel to and amazing things that I've seen. And the really, it comes back to family. Um, I am very close with my family. I come from a very large extended family and they're very far away. And there's there are definitely times where I feel a little guilty that I moved really far away from my family because I made the decision to work here at SeaWorld. And sometimes I feel a little maybe a little bit selfish. Um, But when my family comes down to visit and I bring them here to the park and I see their faces, when when they just light up to see the animals, I know that that they're not mad at me and I know that they love it and that is just the best. My niece, Laurel, loves the penguins and we could sit for hours and just giggle at the penguins swimming. And I am more than happy to sit there with her. I tell everybody else, go ride the roller coasters. You guys go have fun. <laughs> I'm just going to be here because that joy, that that awe and wonder on her face when she just laughs at those penguins, that is the most beautiful thing on earth to me. Maggie, it's like right when I think I can't love you anymore and you say (laughs) something like that and I'm like, and I love her even more. (laughs) Maggie, thank you so much for your time today. I mean, really, you are just a joy and you really do have the best job on the planet. I'm so grateful that we got to spend time together. Thank you. I am too. This has been so much fun and I 
I love talking about what we do here at the park and and just kind of giving people a little bit of insight, you know, as to what happens behind behind the scenes and really sort of letting people peek behind the curtain. It's it's what I love to do most because I really do think that it inspires people to conserve animals and to love animals. And that's that's why I get up every morning. So thank you for allowing me this opportunity to do that. Well, it was my pleasure. And thank you again, Maggie. I've really learned so much and I hope you did too. I'm Cindy Simmons and make sure to join us on the next See the World where you're going to get taken on a virtual thrill ride as we get an inside look on how SeaWorld has created some of the great thrill rides in America. And as always, be sure to check out SeaWorld.com and select your favorite park to stay in the loop on all the great things happening at SeaWorld. And lastly, but most importantly, it would also mean the world to me if you subscribed, left a review, and shared this podcast with all of your wonderful friends. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.